whenever I tried to exercise to, you know, reach my body goals, my, I would have some kind of allergic reaction. And then my vulvodynia, I was like, I felt like I, I truly, all of it cumulatively felt like a completely broken and worthless person. We often think of body image as our physical appearance. So to improve or fix our body image, we focus on losing weight or changing our physical appearance in some way. But as we will learn from Grace today, who combines her professional knowledge so nicely with her personal story of navigating poor body image, which was a direct result of navigating her chronic conditions, body image is much more than our appearance. It is our sense of self and our trust in our body. You are listening to the Food and Life Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Emma Townsend, a UK registered dietitian and a certified intuitive eating counselor. I support you to move away from lifelong dieting and feeling stressed with food to develop a positive relationship with food and connection with your body. And just a reminder that we are all unique. So please use this as an opportunity to learn and explore. But if something does not sit with you, then it's not meant for your unique self. And if you have any health concerns or you're worried you have an eating disorder, please seek personalized support from a registered healthcare provider. So today we're speaking with Grace Hamner. Grace is a body image resilience and intuitive eating coach. She's a serial entrepreneur and a homeschooling mother of three. Grace is an avid proponent of authenticity, mental health awareness, vulnerability, creativity, and civil discourse. As such, Grace strives to incorporate these elements into her various entrepreneurial endeavors, including an online course about body image resilience, body positive digital art, and a blog. So I'm really excited to jump into this conversation today with Grace on body image and acceptance while living in a body with a chronic illness or condition. Grace, a huge welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I'm so happy you're here as well. I am really looking forward to diving into this conversation today on navigating body acceptance or body neutrality while living in a body with a chronic condition or just complicated symptoms. But before we do get started, I'd love to learn more about you and especially how you came to work in the space of body image and body resilience, especially for those with chronic conditions. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I am a mom of three and I am based in the US, um, in Utah. And I I love to sing. That's a little bit about me as a person. And then how I came to work in body image and body image resilience specifically. Um, And then also with a chronic condition is that I live with multiple chronic conditions and navigating my own body acceptance and body positivity journey has been uh, a catalyst for me to do this work. I grew up with a fairly healthy body image. Of course, I don't feel like anyone is 
has a perfect body image or is immune to the cultural messaging. But I had a lot of privilege growing up and combined with um, the different privileges that I was experiencing, I had a lot of body privilege. And so I fit a lot of cultural norms and societal standards that I didn't really struggle to fit that hard, like that much. And it wasn't until I was a young adult that I started having symptoms of my autoimmune condition, MCAS. And I started experiencing um, my body changing, especially after having my kids. And all of these things kind of toppled on top of one another. And I didn't really, I didn't know how to handle that because I had never had experiences, really intense experiences before where I was at odds and at war with my body. And all of a sudden, I just felt like it was this waterfall of ways that I couldn't trust my body and my body wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. And it didn't act the way I wanted it to act. It didn't look the way I was, it was supposed to look. And I ended up cycling into deep depression, generalized anxiety, um, symptoms of PTSD from my childhood resurfaced. I had a really intensely negative self-perception and self-esteem and that all kind of culminated when I started realizing that I was borderline on having an eating disorder. And once I recognized how scary of a place um, I had gotten to, I realized that that I, I just couldn't, I was on this precipice and I actually remember almost begging my brain, like we can just have an eating disorder and that would solve all of our problems, you know? And there was something inside me that was just like, no, we like, we can't do that. Um, And so I ended up getting in with my doctor and got on some anxiety medication and depression medication. I started seeing a therapist and in that time, somehow it was very, it was very, Oh, I don't even know what the word is. The timing was very important and like coincidental, but not coincidental. I'm not sure what that word that I'm looking for. Serendipitous, maybe. Um, That I came across intuitive eating and I came across body positivity in a way that I started looking at it, not as like this thing that other people do, but I started seeing it as this thing that was meant for me. And I am a researcher and an educator by nature and by degree. And so I just kind of went deep and I started gaining certifications and doing a ton of reading and reading the scholarly journals and just getting my hands on everything I could. And 
I started noticing that I naturally was trying to bring other people into that world with me. And eventually I realized this is what I want to do. And yeah, I've been doing that ever since. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. Um, I just can't imagine the, the strength that must have taken at the, well, the start or that point when you realized you, you could just go down the eating disorder path and considering all the messages that we're surrounded by, especially before we've maybe learned about things like intuitive eating and non-diet approaches and um, body acceptance kind of messages. We're surrounded by the opposite that we can control our body and it's going to fix everything and the strength that must yeah. have taken on your own before you'd, you got that support to, to choose to challenge that and recognize that harm is um, I guess really admirable to, to be able to have that awareness at the time. Thank you. I think more than anything that it had to do with like my self-awareness, I think it really had to do with that body privilege that I had growing up because even though I engaged in, you know, some light, very light dieting practices, honestly, because of the ways that my body privilege existed growing up, I looked at dieting as this thing that I, I didn't like it when I saw my mom dieting. I didn't like it when my best friend's mom took her to the gym and would only let her order certain sandwiches from Subway because they were low calorie. I didn't like the pressure that I felt to, um, you know, follow beauty trends or do these things that I just didn't feel like worked for me. And so I was almost, I almost was raised, I'm not raised like it was an intentional thing because the people around me were dieting. Yeah. But for some reason, I kind of was in this little bubble where I saw the self-harm and the dieting behaviors and the pursuit of beauty and the pursuit of beauty at the cost of self. I, I saw those things kind of like from an outside looking in perspective. Yeah. And so then I think once I started realizing how much those things had infiltrated my own life and I got to that precipice, it was almost like a knee-jerk reaction from when I was a teenager where I was like, no, I've seen that life. And that is a life I have never wanted for myself. But I didn't realize until that moment how close I had gotten to it. Um, and so, yeah, I, it's hard because I know a lot of the people that I talk to and a lot of people that I work with, they have dealt with the never-ending message of dieting and body shame and body hatred from such a young age yeah. and so it's it's very interesting it's very interesting working with a wide variety of people where there are people who've had similar experiences like me where their body image didn't really start shifting too negatively until later in life after yeah. something happens to change their body and their perception of how they fit into the world. And then also working with people who that has 
almost been with them from their first breath. That, that was the, the water that they were raised in. And just knowing, knowing how important it is to, to have, an, have this belief that it can change, whether it's been your whole life or whether it's been a fairly recent um, set battle with yourself, it is possible to then shift those narratives and, and come to a more peaceful and healthy place. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you recognized kind of looking in at yourself the way you did when you were growing up, looking at other people and you were able to have that perspective of, I know what it can be like and I can see the path I'm going down. And I do really relate to that with a lot of clients I work with who, as you mentioned, have been from such a young age. They've been forced into dieting, forced into not trusting their body um, whether it's whether it's dieting, whether it's someone with an eating disorder or just this general stress around food, it there, there is a difference when there's nothing to relate back to about how life can be without that. And all there is is mm. this messages saying that life will be better if you, you keep with this control um, over food and body without that awareness of actually no life can be like this without it. So that's a really yeah. great distinction between the, the kind of different people's experiences that might be coming to you yeah yeah I'm also really curious to to explore more about just about body image I guess it's very interesting that you had that experience of your body image in a place where you didn't have chronic conditions and um these complicated symptoms with your body to alter that. And I think our perception in society of body image is what we look like or just how we're perceived, but this really brings it back to how our body feels as well. And just the the trust in our body playing such a huge part. So I'm wondering if you could start by maybe exploring a bit about what body image is and just also how our like brain and body processes or experiences Mm -hmm. body image. Yeah, I think understanding that body image, exactly like what you said, is so much more than how we look or how we think we look. And it is, it has so much more to do with how we feel and exist in our bodies. And as someone with a chronic condition, it can be really difficult to have that body trust that I hear about so often in the body positivity world and in intuitive eating. And, you know, we're talking about trusting our bodies and tuning in to the messages that we have. And it, it's difficult when your body doesn't do the things that you're wanting it to do or that you're expecting it to do. Um, And so there are a couple of different definitions of body image that I feel like um, help people understand the the truth and the reality behind the fact that body image is so much more than what we look like. Um, And in 2019, a group of researchers presented research on a major review from 15 different studies across six countries to define what healthy body image is and to understand how to develop healthy body image. 
and they called it po positive body image or PBI. So instead of healthy body image, which is um, what we hear about a lot in a term that I use, they called it positive body image. And they described it as a combination of these things, appreciation of the appearance and function of your body, being aware and attentive to your body's needs, and the ability to process appearance-related messages in a self-protective manner. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the times we stop like, oh, I have a, a positive body image or I'm struggling with my body image. We kind of stop at that first little line, appreciation of yeah. the appearance of our body. Yeah. And when the appearance doesn't match up with what we want or what we're hoping for or what we're used to, we kind of think, oh, my, my body image is really bad. I hate my body. Um, but tied with that is the function of our body. And so when we have someone with a chronic condition, we might be dealing with someone who has, you know, intrusive negative thoughts about the appearance of their body, but then also difficulties regarding the function of their body. And so it really is combining these two. And then that second point, being aware and attentive to our body's needs and our body's unique and individual needs which I know that you understand, and this is one of the purposes of our work as certified intuitive eating counselors is understanding that our body's needs are individually unique to every single person. Yeah. And it's so important to know that diet culture relies on these overarching generalized messages that everyone should do x y or z or even if even if they have like nuanced in quotations approaches they're like all bodies fit within these six body types and yeah. these are the things that you need to do and so then you scour the websites and you listen to the podcasts and you know you buy coaching programs and you try to figure out which body type you have in their program. And then it's like, okay, this is exactly what I need to do in order to fix or like, or whatever my body. Yeah. But that is not realistic. Yeah. My body is so different than your body and your body is so different to my neighbor's body and their body is so different to someone else's. And it's not the fact that we look different. It's not mm -hmm. the fact that our personalities are different and our, you know, general likes and dislikes are different. Like it has so much more to do with the way our bodies function and exist and sometimes appear in this world. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that's one of the reasons why I love this intuitive eating work is because it's so unique. Um, and then the third aspect of that positive body image is the ability to process appearance related messages in a self-protective manner, which means that once you're aware and attentive to your body's unique individual needs, 
then it's being able to have those diet ads thrown at you around Thanksgiving in preparation for New Year's. And it's, you know, the, am I going to look good in a bikini messages related to like that you get every April and May in preparation for summer season, or if you're in the um, Southern hemisphere, then it's, you know, around uh, November and December. So it's like all of these different things, these messages being thrown at us, body image, diet culture, beauty standards, um, all of these different things, health and nutrition, wellness, in quotes, the wellness culture. And it's the ability to, to hear those messages and process those messages and apply or not apply those messages knowing what your own unique body's needs are and what they are not. Um, so in my work and something that I help people come to is helping them find and really hone in on their body's unique messaging and their body's unique needs. And I know that's what you do in your work as well. And there were a couple of skills and interventions in this um, major review of these studies that have a positive effect on healthy body image. And that means there's a lot of writing and journaling exercises, tuning in to your thought processes and those limited beliefs that are sometimes buried super deep in our psyches, learning media literacy, and learning how to understand advertisements and learning how to pick apart those messages and, and figure out what is true and what is harmful and what's a half truth. Um, there are so many of those. Developing a broad conceptualization of beauty, um, exposing ourselves to lots of different body types and appearances and ways people exist in the world and starting to retrain our brains to see beauty in the human experience. Yeah. Um, attunement to your own body's internal cues. That's a, a massive piece of intu intuitive eating is learning how to tune in to your hunger and your fullness and your satisfaction and your likes and your dislikes and all of these different things. Um, exercising in ways that are constructive and almost meditative and mindful to tune into yeah. your body as well. And so, yeah, those are some of the ways that you develop healthy body image that are backed by research. Um, and I love helping people work through those. <laughs> Yeah, that's so lovely. It is, as you so wonderfully explained, so much more than just how we perceive ourselves to look or how we worry about other people perceiving us to look. Uh, I really liked actually when you were talking about learning to process the messages that we get around us and mm -hmm. something that I often work through with people. And I think you would do the same with intuitive eating in the sense that we kind of let go of all of these rules and ideals that are thrown on us to connect back with our own body. 
but then when like we're still going to be surrounded by these messages and sometimes this outside messages or knowledge that we pick up or whether it's our own body knowledge or knowledge from information from our world some of it Mm -hmm. is going to be helpful sometimes we need something to help us we might trust that our own body is hungry um, and trust what we feel like but there might be some knowledge guiding us that you know, actually my bowels haven't been great lately. I'm going to try having some more fiber. That's one example of, of where we can use knowledge, but also what I love helping people work through is the information on the outside. Firstly, assessing like, is it true? Is it not true? Is it maybe true? But whether it's true or not, it, if it's not supportive for you, if it's causing like stress, guilt, shame, or just not helpful for you, then you don't have to take it on. Because no matter how much research is behind a particular, you know, particular information, that's never going to be the same for 100% of people. Or it might be something that we're not ready for right now because we're in a different place. We're still working on our relationship with food and body. So maybe that information about movement is not actually relevant to our place right now. Maybe it will be later. So really learning to navigate the nuances and complexities with this external information. So yeah, I loved when you... We're talking about that part. That is, that's such an important um, clarification that you brought into this conversation because um, it makes me think of two things. One is that as someone, so my autoimmune condition is MCAS, mast cell activation syndrome. And essentially this is just the way I like to describe it to people. My body can be allergic to anything at any time. Um, and people who have MCAS, their bodies react in lots of different ways. Some people's bodies react very strong digestively and they have a lot of um, like anaphylactic allergic reactions and different things like that. My body reacts very um I have a lot of skin-based reactions and a lot of migraine reactions and a lot of fatigue. And so um, I was gardening the other day with my mom and when I was done, my arms were just like covered in welts and I needed Benadryl after, you know, 30 minutes of picking tomatillos in the garden. um, And sometimes wind, I'm outside and the wind blows me a wrong way and I am inside 10 minutes later taking Benadryl and having to sleep off an allergic reaction. And so that can be so complicated when it comes to messages that you hear in the world where there are like research backs that certain things are good for us, right? Like, um, exercise for example is like so important it's so important for our bodies to have like mindful movement mindful is such a key for me because exercising and the you know swishing of fabrics the like rubbing of legs together the jump in cardio and heart rate those things can trigger my body into an allergic reaction And I can spend the next three to five hours coming down from an allergic reaction from exercise. And so 
I, I have family members who for a long time really struggled with the concept of like, but wait, cardio is supposed to be the most healthy thing. Like if you just did more cardio, maybe it would get better. And I had to really tune into myself and say, no, actually my body doesn't do well with cardio. My body does better with gentle walking, with gentle yoga, with these other things. And sometimes my body does better with no exercise at all for extended periods of time. Yeah. Recognizing, and this is the second point I was going to say earlier, but recognizing that so much of what we hear in the wellness space and also in the body image space and the treating our bodies well space yeah. is we, t- we talk about what's good for our bodies, but we also need to talk about what's good for our minds. Yeah. And if, you know, nutrition advice, and this is something I love about the intuitive eating framework um, from Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch is they recognized very early on if talking about nutrition is triggering for this obsessive part of our brains, then it is not healthy to talk about nutrition until that obsessive parts of our brains can relax into this knowing of trust that we have with ourselves and our bodies. And it's the same with exercise. It's the same with doctor recommendations. It's the same with all of these messages we hear of people saying like, this is the new latest research about this, that, or the other. And it's just taking those messages and saying, what is good for my body and what is good for my brain? And then, and knowing sometimes something's good for my body, but it's not great for my brain. And sometimes something's good for my brain, but it's not great for my body. And having the self-trust to know that I can make those decisions for me And some people might not think that I'm the healthiest human in the world, but honestly, I am doing the best that I can with the body that I have. Yeah. And just that last sentence you mentioned opens up that huge rabbit hole of what is health and these health Mm -hmm. ideals that we see everywhere in our world, even in our healthcare systems as well. It's often focused on what someone looks like or just these like behaviors that we see on like the outside, maybe especially food and movement kind of behaviors, but that's mm-hmm. not health. There's so many more aspects to that. And it's individual for, for all of us. What's healthy yeah. for one person is so different for another person. Yeah. Um, and that calls into the question. Um, and this is one of the reasons why I love that study that I referred to earlier, it's, um, if you want to look it up, it's from Guest uh, from in 2019. And it's called The Effectiveness of Interventions Aiming to Promote Positive Body Image in Adults. Check it out. It's pretty great. And they talk about developing a broad conceptualization of beauty. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're, I'm not just talking about um, you know, opening up that, that view of beauty a little bit, but it's bringing marginalized voices into that conversation because 
you know, ableism has such a strong impact on our healthcare system and looking and, and opening your conceptualization, not only of beauty, but also of health and wellness and unique body needs, trying to get as many diverse voices out there that you can and bringing them into your inner world, whether that's your personal circle or your online sphere, that will really help um, change that messaging from this is what everyone should do to, oh, I'm starting to realize that there are 130 different ways that this one thing I've been told is affecting all of these different people that I'm seeing. And it really opens up that, that ability for us to be able to trust our own selves when we start to see and recognize that other people are trusting their own needs and yeah yeah that that body trust is it's hard enough for for anyone to develop when we've got all of these messages around us just telling us you should be doing this you should be doing this this is how you should feel from doing that and that doesn't match our experience but that additional challenge then can be with a chronic illness is even when we get maybe to a place where we have managed to let go of these messages and ideals and shame all the shaming messages around us that make us feel we can't trust ourselves. We managed to let go of those. We are ready to build this trust with our body, but our body isn't doing, isn't so predictable. No one's body is going to be completely predictable. That's just bodies. That's human. (laughs) But a lot or like most of the time, once we're in tune with our body and we're connected we can predict like this food is, you know, usually not going to make me feel unwell. We, we can predict those things or going for a walk is very high chance that it's going to make me feel better. Cause I know that that's usually what happens. I can imagine with, with a chronic illness, when we don't have that same predictability, that that must be such an extra challenge in that next step. So when we manage to get rid of all the rules that then we're ready to start understanding our body, that must be such a a big challenge to get through as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are, I mean, there are certain chronic conditions that have very clearly defined cause and effect relationships to bodies. Um, And I know that there's a lot of grief and self-acceptance and that come with those. And, and so it's often counterintuitive to like the world's messaging of like, Oh, you just like, it's so easy to love your body. You just like change your attitude. And it's like, not only am I having to counter the world's messaging, I'm having to counter this messaging that I had while I was being raised, what body shouldn't do, but then also like, if you know you if someone is severely lactose intolerant or um, develops celiac disease it's like i don't know if develops celiac disease is the right word but there's a lot of grief that comes with yeah i just i just really love ice cream (laughs) and like yeah soy alternative ice cream is fine and everything but oh, I have all these positive memories of going to the lake and having this ice cream and there's no soy alternative ice cream at this little beach town. And, you know, there's a lot of grief that comes with having to make the choices that are good for our bodies 
or going against those and then dealing with the aftermath. Um, That is really complicated. And then when you add on this layer of these nebulous chronic conditions as well, where there are so many, you never really know what the trigger is. You never really know what's going to cause you to feel sick and, and messing up in quotations one day can make your body kind of spiral for a while. And those that not knowing is very difficult to wrap your head around. And that grief I, I mean, I don't want to minimize someone else's grief, but when it's a very clear cut condition, it's kind of like just this sense of resignation of like, okay, I guess I can't have that, but I can find other ways to incorporate some kind of, you know, food joy or body joy into my life. But when it's this very nebulous thing and it's, there's, it's like a constant state of grieving what you what you thought your life would look like um i having my mcis it took 15 years for me to get diagnosed i started having some symptoms as a teenager but it didn't start really becoming um a daily issue until um probably 21 or 22 and it was so unpredictable and like i said earlier mcis my allergies i can be allergic to anything at any time so i would i knew that i was experiencing some kind of allergic reactions but every time i went to a new dermatologist or a new allergist the entire list of symptoms changed one time I would go and I would be allergic to 15 pages of all of these things. And the next time I would go and it would be the complete opposite. And every doctor put me on new restrictive diets, new elimination diets, telling me that this, these are the symptoms that I was having. And if I just cut everything out perfectly, I would be fine. And it was that, that obsession with this, with this reality that like, if I can just do this perfectly, maybe I just haven't been perfect before. And so I would be allergic to, I would, I would come home and I would clear my whole pantry and clear all my products out of my house. And I would go out and I would buy everything new that the doctors told me to buy um, and change all of my routines and all of my habits. And maybe I would feel better for a couple weeks, two or three months but my symptoms would always come back. And then it was off to that doctor again, um, who would then say like, oh no, you're not just not doing it well enough. Or to a new doctor who would give me an entirely new list. And then it was the same thing. I spent thousands and thousands of dollars just trying to fit what I was supposed to do to heal my body. And, and then just to have that, that constant mistrust by doctors 
who minimized or ignored my symptoms and not even with my MCIS, but I also dealt with a condition called fulvodynia, which is um, really intense vulvovaginal pain, um, especially with insertion. So tampons or penetration, like excruciating pain and feeling just on so many levels, like my body wasn't looking like I thought it was. My body changed so much with pregnancy and then it didn't snap back in quotes, like everyone told me that it should. Yeah. And whenever I w tried to exercise to, you know, reach my body goals, my, I would have some kind of allergic reaction. And then my vulvodynia, I was like, I felt like a I truly, all of it cumulatively felt like a completely broken and worthless person. Um, yeah. And over time, I just built up all of this trauma and stress in my body. Mm. And doctors weren't listening or they tried, but they didn't know because yeah. at that time, MCIS was fairly rare. And so they just, they honestly didn't know what was going on. And I just wanted to control something. I wanted to be able to have just something that my body would do right consistently. And I was taught by diet culture that that was supposed to be weight growing up. You know, I was taught that controlling your weight shouldn't be that hard. It's all about willpower and like doing these few things that if you just do them perfectly, you can be in complete control of your body. And I had so much distrust in all of these other areas of my life. And when I couldn't even control my weight and my weight started yo-yoing, that was when I was just like, there is nothing that I can do to, to be the one who decides what my body does. And now, of course, I, I know the research behind intentional weight loss. And I know that yo-yo dieting is a thing for a reason. And I know the research and the facts behind set point theory and I know the research and the facts behind the fact that diet culture tells us it's easy it is not and it is not something that we it, it our culture has done us a great disservice by teaching us that it is something we can control yeah and I know that now but I didn't know that then yeah and um my body image not only the way I looked, but also the way my body functioned and the way I felt about that. It just, mm -hmm. it was like a non-existent positive body. It was so negative. I had yeah. so much self-hatred and yeah, mm -hmm. it's hard. Yeah. And we are just taught growing up in general, and especially for me during my dietetics degree as well, that weight is something that we should be trying to control and we can control. And now it just seems crazy to me that that's a thing Like the, it, it took a while, like a few years to, to really get to this place though, after 
first learning about intuitive eating and non-diet approaches, but it's just, there's no medical reason that it would work. Like we know exactly why it doesn't work. We know the way the body responds. Yeah. It goes completely against all of the like Western uh, medicine is getting really a lot more interest in our mind body connection which mm. I guess is historically like Eastern medicine that um, was really focused on like meditation and breathing and all this. And Western medicine is getting really interested in that. And there's a lot of research coming out and a lot of trust and awareness of the importance of that. But still, when it comes to food, it's like, oh no, but don't trust your body with food. And it's just yeah. crazy. This research is coming out. It's still like, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah I, I just can't really fathom how that connection hasn't been more I guess known widespread and especially in in the UK like the public healthcare setting as well uh yeah I I also wanted to to ask I was thinking before you even brought it up I wanted to ask and it was really interesting you spoke about your experience with doctors um and your like journey of getting diagnosed with a condition like NCAS I know in the UK now most doctors still don't know about it and people just go yeah. undiagnosed there is a charity uh, set up actually, and they have really helpful information on there. Uh, also information like for medical providers that you can kind of show your medical provider if you really relate to these symptoms, they can then support you. So that's getting more awareness in that sense, but it's still really, really rare that a, a doctor would be aware of checking for those symptoms. Yeah. And it was really fascinating speaking about being told that if you do this it's going to make it better and then you do that and it doesn't make it better and instead of the kind of blame if that's the right word being put on well that just wasn't the right thing for me it's yeah. so natural and easy to take that on as well I'm doing it wrong and yeah. we've got that experience in your case from I guess the diet culture like I'm doing it wrong in terms of weight loss because diet culture tells us we should and then also just in terms of medically your body not responding in the way you're told it it will yeah and and at times I mean I I don't want to make a generalized statement and say that none of my doctors were trauma-informed yeah because especially within the last couple of years learning how to advocate for myself I have found trauma-informed providers but I, I was actively blamed by multiple yeah. doctors and I had a, I, I had a, um, a, an allergist. And so, like I said, my skin-based symptoms, mm -hmm. um, two of my biggest triggers are water and temperature changes. And so showering for me I often take Benadryl when I shower. Um, for many years of my life, I had to take Benadryl every single time I showered. And after I showered, I would take two or three Benadryl. So a, a significant amount of Benadryl. Yeah. And I would have to have my ex-husband lay on top of my body to keep me from scratching my skin raw. And I, I was trying to figure out like, why my body reacted when it rained outside and why my body reacted if I walked through a sprinkler. 
And so I kind of came to the conclusion, like maybe I'm allergic to water and that's what's happening. And I talked to an allergist and he was so rude. He was insistent that no, it's the hard water. And I said, then why, if it's hard water from my pipes, why do I react when it rains? And he said, oh no, it's the water pressure. And I said, if it's water pressure, why do I react in a lake or in a pool? And he grabbed my arm and started slapping my arm over and over. And he was like, no, I will prove to you that it's water pressure. And this is the one time in my medical journey that I was like so grateful for my body not reacting. Because every time I was in a doctor's office, you know how your body like goes on its best behavior and your symptoms like magically don't show up when you're getting your tests at the doctor's office. Mm -hmm. It is like the most infuriating thing. Um, and so I would often just like be silently begging my body, please react, do something like I have to be able to prove this. But yeah. in that moment, he is slapping my arm and I didn't react. I didn't get welts. I didn't have any kind of allergic reaction. And I was like, so glad that my body didn't, you know, automatically flare. And that was just so, it was so rude. And I had um, when I was actively trying to lose weight, um, I had a physical trainer, a personal trainer who was convinced that I was lying on my food and exercise logs because I was gaining weight. Um, and now I know that that's my body. Like it's a stress response. I'm inflamed. I am, you know, my body is just holding on. If I'm, I, I don't just lose weight when I exercise. My body goes into this like autoimmune reaction and I just swell, my ankles swell to the size of like twice as big as they are. And, yeah. and these experiences with, doctors and experts who would not listen to me no matter wow. how much I tried. Yeah. At times it fueled just an intense depression. And at other times it sparked this like sense of righteous indignation within me. Yeah. And I am so grateful that in time with proper trauma therapy and with everything that righteous indignation won. Um, yeah. yeah, anyway, I got on a tangent. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, thank you for sharing all of that. When you were mentioning being told that you must be lying because your body's gaining weight with the plan that they're giving you, it just reminded me of earlier in my career before learning about all of this, um, learning about like intuitive eating and non-diet approaches, being in an office at work on, on multiple occasions with other dietitians just talking about how patients must be lying if it's not working and they're like they're saying they're eating this but they're clearly not yeah. and like I remember even at the time thinking like it doesn't it doesn't feel right that we're saying this person must be lying firstly if they are quote-unquote lying or if they're not saying the full story there's a reason that they're not mm, they I yeah. don't feel safe with you to say the full story and yeah. if they're not doing this, 
it's because it's there's something that doesn't work. Um, no one's going to choose to be in whatever the situation is that they're coming to. Usually they want, you know, if it's for weight loss, they want to feel validated and worthy, which they're told weight loss will give them, or they're wanting their symptoms to improve. And even, I guess in that place, I, I felt really torn because I didn't know about this research. Things didn't really sit right, just blaming people. But at the same time, I thought, oh, well, it must be right because it's what everyone does. It's what we're taught yeah. to do. And it felt really uncomfortable. But yeah, it just reminded me of, of that. It happens, unfortunately, a lot in healthcare that if we can't explain something. As a healthcare provider, you're taught that you should know. And I think it's not even always like the fault of the the healthcare provider, there's a lot of pressure put on yeah, and a lot of pressure to like answer or to know and be able to give someone like to fix it. This is fix it pressure. Yeah. And one of the things that's really been helpful with, with moving towards intuitive eating and I've done trauma informed training and these things that have really validated what I felt, but also given me skills to know that it's okay to say, I'm sorry, that sounds really tough mm. when I don't know or when I just can't fix it because we can't fix yeah. everything and it's okay to just validate and that can be so much more helpful from that trauma perspective than yeah. putting it back on the person or keep trying to fix it with things that this person in front of us is telling us doesn't work. Yeah, that reminds me. Um, well, first, I just want to say thank you for embracing trauma-informed care in the healthcare field. That is something that I'm really passionate about. Um, not only from my MCIS and intuitive eating and body image, but also with my vulvodynia. Um, gynecological care is, it breaks my heart how much there is a lack of trauma-informed care within the gynecological field, wow. because you're taking something that is so personal and um, heaping trauma on top of it in a lot of cases. And with my vulvodynia, I was, again, I was dismissed by doctors. I wasn't listened for many years, listened to for many years. And I learned to um, adopt like a self-protective manner in doctor's offices by just like laughing off my pain or like trying to tell them how painful it was, but if they didn't respond positively, then it was like, oh yeah, haha, I know it's uncomfortable for everyone, but not everyone is in the fetal position, you know, in pain. And yeah. I was at this doctor's office. It was after my kids were born, my twins were born. Um, it was the first time that I had seen her. And I did that same thing where I, did like a, a kind of like a snip of a comment with truthfulness about the pain. And then I just tried to backtrack and laugh it off. And for the first time I had a doctor turn and look at me and say, are you being serious? And not in an accusing way, but say yeah. very gently, are, are you being serious about that? And as I talked to her in this appointment and She diagnosed my vulvodynia fairly quickly. Um, that was something that I guess she was aware of. But then the next time when I came in, I, I said, she handled my vulvodynia so well. I wonder if I could talk to her about my other stuff. 
and I brought up some of my MCIS symptoms and she didn't know what MCIS was. She isn't the one who eventually diagnosed me, mm-hmm. but she pulled out her computer and said, I don't know what that is, but let's research it together right now. And she pulled up the scholarly journal archive and she typed in some of my symptoms and she really was the first doctor. She was the first doctor to show me that doctors don't know everything and that they can be humble enough to in session, put their clients and their patients lived experiences above what they know to be true. And that was a very, that was a turning point for me. And it helped me realize that part of my journey, my health journey, is learning how to advocate for myself in doctor's offices and recognize that yes, doctors have 10, 13 years of experience in there in you know the medical field of schooling. And then on top of that, however many years they've been practicing, but I am the expert on me. Yeah. And yeah. what I say goes. And if a doctor starts to belittle me, I am out of there. And it doesn't matter if I'm in the middle of a pap smear. If a doctor is ignoring my pain, I will say stop and I will get out of that office because it is not worth it to me anymore to deal with people who, who don't listen and yeah. who are unwilling to learn with me, their patient. So yeah, I'm really passionate about trauma-informed <laughs> and and health advocacy yeah thank you for sharing that experience of trauma-informed care and the huge difference it can make when instead of trying to fix something a a doctor or healthcare provider can just say I don't know but I want to support you I believe you and I want to support you that's such a um such I guess a great example I was going to say lovely but I that I wish that was the norm Uh, but it just really highlights the importance of it really well um, and Grace, thank you so much for sharing your story so far. It's really, uh, I'm sure it's really helpful for others going through something similar or having these really similar experiences with just getting diagnoses or getting believed as well when they're trying to seek support. I'm wondering for maybe people who are struggling with with a chronic condition and which is then affecting their, their body image or their, their trust and, and sense of self, do you have maybe any advice for how how we can accept our bodies and improve our body image if our own body's experience has taught us that it can't always be trusted or maybe it feels like it's letting us down? Yeah. Um, I loved how you brought in the body image and then also the sense of self. Um, because I, I, I mean, I don't feel like it's possible to really heal body image unless we're also simultaneously healing our sense of self and um, just that that trust that we have not with how our body appears and not even with how our body functions but how we exist in our body how we exist in the world Um, and i have a, I have a course and there are a number of steps that I like to teach in sequence for how to develop a healthy body image. 
Um, and a lot of that just comes to what we talked about earlier of finding out what works for our own unique bodies. And so yeah. there are six steps. The first step is um, unlearning body shame. And this is a very important factor of the intuitive eating model as well, which is rejecting diet culture and starting to recognize that these messages, not only are they not true, but they are actively harmful. And um, more so than just diet culture, it's also the beauty industry as well. There are so many messages and so many advertisements and so many half-truths in the beauty industry. Um, And so it's unlearning those messages and starting to look into the research and starting to see, oh, that is not only not true and it's actively harmful, but also like, what might my life look like if I didn't believe that? Next is body respect. So after you're unlearning that body shame, then you're starting to build a foundation of body respect. And for me, body respect means that I will take care of my body in the ways that it needs. And that is a boundary that I have for myself. So in the early days of my intuitive eating and body reclamation journey, I every like frequently would still feel very pulled to diet. I would still feel just sucked into that body shame spiral. But then all of a sudden I had a boundary with my body out of respect for this future that I envisioned of body peace, but also out of the research that I had learned that intentional weight loss is not healthy and that our bodies you know deserve to be treated without obsession Mm -hmm. and so these boundaries i would say i want to diet right now so bad but i have told myself that i will not intentionally pursue weight loss and so holding those boundaries with myself while actively unlearning body shame kind of set this foundation for then eventually moving on to the third step, I started learning about body neutrality. And I think body neutrality is one of the most powerful steps in reclaiming healthy body image and finding love and true peace within our bodies. Because body neutrality says, I don't have to like what my body is doing or what my body looks like, but I can actively choose not to treat my body with disdain and instead mm-hmm. just say, I'm, I'm human. This is a human experience. Yeah. I have acne. Am I hideous or am I human? I'm human. I am itchy after... <laughs> I am, this is such a ridiculous example. Um, I am itchy after trying on a new outfit because the fabric, my body decided to be allergic to polyester today. Am I hideous or am I human? I'm human. Bodies are gonna body. Humans are gonna Mm -hmm. human. And it just is kind of 
accepting this neutral ground of like, this is the human experience. Yeah. And it's almost like weird is normal and imperfect is perfect, right? Like perfection is a fallacy. Normal is a fallacy. Weird and unique and human, that's normal. Um, Anyway. And then moving on from body neutrality, then there's this gentle next step and it's very subtle, which is body acceptance. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of moving away from like, this is just the human experience to this is my Mm -hmm. body. This is how my body is. And not not having to necessarily rely on those firm boundaries, Mm -hmm. not having to necessarily rely on the fact that we're all just human, but starting to learn like, this is how my body exists in the world and I can accept it Mm -hmm. and maybe have a tiny bit of a positive acceptance. Um, And then moving into body appreciation because in time by treating our bodies with respect and learning how to accept the things that our bodies do then we can learn to appreciate the little things that our body does especially because it means appreciating the little almost automatic things that our bodies do just to let us experience life day to day and When you're dealing with a chronic condition or a disability, it can be so infuriating to hear someone say, just appreciate the way, like you get to live, you need to appreciate it. And here I am thinking, yeah, well, I want to travel to Bali, but one, my budget doesn't have that money in it. And two, I'm allergic to humidity. So you wanna tell me to experience appreciation for my body because it lets me experience the world like it can be so infuriating (laughs) to to have that message but I've learned that when it comes from a place of like everybody is unique and we can appreciate and truly enjoy the uniqueness that our body brings us. And then also, how do I explain this? Also kind of finding appreciation for the world that our body allows us to live in, if that makes sense. Like, like I have learned, because I have traveled to humid places before, I have learned that I end up miserably Benadryl drowsy the entire time. And so instead of continuing to battle and be like, no, Bali's my goal, Bali's my goal, or you know, wherever in the world, Costa Rica or Colombia or wherever in the world, this is my goal, Vietnam. Instead, let me accept and then shift to appreciation for the places that my body would allow me to explore. Morocco has a much more temperate climate um, or dry. I I live in Utah and 
it's dry enough here that I generally on a day-to-day basis can really enjoy my life outdoors and shifting that shifting it from a place of lack to a place of appreciation takes a long time and sometimes you know you just have to grieve the stuff that you want that you can't have but um then in time learning like this is this is where I'm at and I can be happy with that and then over time you eventually come to body love And it's not this objectifying love that we're like striving for and obsessively searching for. It's the result of these cumulative acts of the other steps where it, you come to a place where it is impossible not to love yourself because to respect yourself is to love yourself. To accept yourself is to love yourself. To appreciate the ways that you exist in the world is to love yourself. And over time, you realize that um, there's a lot of peace in the life that you're living, even if your life looks very different than what you thought it would or very different than what you want it to. I love those, those gradual steps because a big jump is just not realistic, but having these gradual steps and it's we're, we're moving towards feeling better in some way with each step even if we don't get all the way to the end we're finding that kind of neutrality and that that acceptance which makes a a huge shift as well I really love all that um are there any maybe tools that you would recommend as a starting point so for someone who's wanting to I guess to start from from the bottom or to start towards these steps is there anywhere that's a great starting point for for people wanting to improve their body image Yeah, absolutely. Um, First, I want to bring up intuitive eating and health at every size practitioners. Any, um, I think intuitive eating embraces so much of these things that I'm talking about. And I feel like personally, I feel like it's actually impossible to practice intuitive eating without also Um, improving body image because intuitive eating is so much of that attunement and finding that unique um, truth in our own bodies and then also just the the environment that the authors of the intuitive eating framework Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch they talk so much about these other concepts with body neutrality and body acceptance like um, that message really is so important and so if people are looking for strategies and tools i i would point them to referrals that are intuitive eating aligned mental health and body image practitioners i have a list on my website um and then of course you i have loved our conversation and i love the work that you've done Um, i completely binge listened to all of your podcast episodes from season one. And I just, I can really tell that you're trauma informed and really uh, a kind, compassionate ecosystem to help clients with their journey. Um, I also coach and I have a course. Mine is much more body image focused. Intuitive eating is kind of um, a conversation as part of that body image, 
Whereas a lot of intuitive eating certified counselors are very much more health and nutrition and like you're your dietitian focused. And then body image comes in as part of that conversation. So I feel like our roles are um, a little bit flipped. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that though. Yeah, I know. It's so important. Yeah. And if, you know, coaching or a course is not for you, um, some books that I recommend from the library are The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor, More Than a Body by Lexi and Lindsay Kite, and then, of course, Intuitive Eating by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. And if you've read those and you still want more book recommendations, email me. I am a book nerd. I will send you like a list of a hundred books. <laughs> I literally try to read every single intuitive eating, body image, um, diet culture, yeah. anti-diet culture book I can get my hands on. So, yeah. Yeah. They're such lovely book recommendations. And I agree. There's so many though. I think whenever I've had to try think of a few to recommend I find it so hard to pick out a yeah. few but yeah those ones I have read all of those as well and they yeah. are highly recommended from me too in preparation for the course that um I have on my website I read more than 75 books and it is and then a bunch of scholarly articles it is yeah. so hard for me to narrow down my list of favorites <laughs> Cause, and, and every time, so I continue to read books. I just did a massive update of my course and read a bunch more books to add to that list. And at first I had like a recommended list of 10 and then that changed to a recommended list of 15. And now I think it's up to like my recommended top 25. It's just going to keep getting bigger. I just, there's so much good information out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so many different ways that the information is taught. Like mm-hmm. there are very academic referenced books and there's very like it's much more personal a conversational style book and there really is um I feel like a resource for everyone um yeah 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 I feel your pain with with narrowing recommendations (laughs) down which is a great thing there's a lot there's a lot coming out that is anti-diet, trauma-informed, body acceptance, um body positive focused amongst the the huge display of, of diet books but the fact that there's a lot of great ones to recommend is so, so lovely. I love that. Um, Grace, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you today. And thank you so much for sharing your story and being really vulnerable and sharing the experiences that you've had as well. It's, I'm sure it's so helpful for so many listeners who may be experiencing something with some similarities to what you're going through, because it's not something that we really hear spoken about a lot so thank you so much for sharing all that thank you and I'm wondering for listeners who do want to get in touch with you and learn more where can they find you uh yeah my website is my name www.gracehamner.com that's h-a-m as in michael n as in november e-r um And then on Instagram, I'm at the seasons of grace and on TikTok, I'm at Grace Hamner again, my name. Um, and on my website, please feel free. You can contact me through my contact tab. I love answering questions. And this is something I like to say a lot. 
if I'm not the person for you, if, if you want to heal your body image, but there's something about me that you're not connecting with, let me know. I will work to help you find someone who you do connect with because it is so important to me that one by one we shift the message and we shift our power back internally and we shift our futures to more peace. Yeah. I love that, Grace. I think there's it's so important to find, to work with someone who does resonate with you and it doesn't mean that you think that person isn't really great at their job it's just that we have different personalities we click with different people and it's really important to recognize that um and and I guess in the bigger picture one of the things that can be hard uh, especially over here with the we've got a public healthcare system which is really great in so many ways but it means that you can't find that person that you resonate with um so Mm. when we are seeking that support on our own or, or privately that's when we do have that power to choose someone that we resonate with, which is really, really important. And it's something that we should be yeah. looking around and and really getting a feel for who we're working with. Yeah. Yeah, that's so important. You're such an insightful person. I mean, I knew that because, again, I have scoured your website and I've listened to, like, all the things that you've put out. But being here talking with you today has really just reignited my appreciation for the work that you do and i hope that the people who are listening also recognize um and appreciate the work that you are doing to help not only get these messages out there but then again joining that same mission where we're like one by one let's let's heal yeah thank you so much grace that means a lot to me and it's been so lovely to speak today Yeah, thank you so much. It's been so lovely to share this episode with you today. I would love for you to visit today's guest with the links they shared. And for more support and information, including articles, free resources, online courses, and individualized support, you can visit my home on the internet at foodlifefreedom.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review on the podcast platform you use and feel free to use the three dot symbol to share with anyone who may find this episode helpful. If you have a question or topic you would love to have covered on the podcast, I would love to hear from you.